Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sunday morning and we ask that you would take our services and Lord, you would accept our worship in song. Lord, I pray that the sermon this morning would give us what we need to live for you through this coming week and strengthen us that our worship may not be limited just to Sunday morning. We pray that our worship would, the highest point of our service would be the time of invitation. And Lord, that no one here would withhold from you what is rightfully yours. Lord, that is our heart and our soul, our life force, our effort. Lord, we ask that we would worship you in each and every part of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next songs. In our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Uh, last week we looked at the truth, we studied the truth that the manger of Bethlehem was the only hope uh, for mankind, that Jesus, as he took not on him the nature of angels, as we read in Hebrews chapter 2, but he took on the nature of men that through death he could destroy him that had the power over death, that is the devil, And that is the only hope we have in this world, is knowing that Jesus is the victor, not not only over sin, but over death, over all that we face, and the only comfort, the only hope that we have is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why these words in red are behind me. It is finished, and by That we simply mean that all that needs to be done for someone to be saved has been done on the cross. Now, there's no guarantees that everyone who hears the message will be saved. Because God has made us human beings. He's given us a choice. And and I, I, I hope I do not sound trite here, but a choice that isn't a choice isn't a choice. In order to be able to choose to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you must also have the possibility of choosing not to. And yet, the only hope we have is what Jesus Christ has done. Now, this morning, I'd like for us to look at another great word of the Christmas season. Hope. The next word, joy. We sing about it, tidings of comfort and joy. We sing joy to the world. And really, joy to the world is not a Christmas carol. Uh, That song was written in celebration of when Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation period to set up his kingdom here on earth. And certainly at that time, there will actually be uh, joy to the world. Uh, it, it will be everything that mankind has ever hoped for. You know, one of the uh, one of the reasons God has given us so much history, nearly six thousand years as mankind on this planet Earth, and when you hear four and a half billion and all of those things, just uh, just think of everything else the politicians exaggerate. Amen. Uh, they, the Bible tells us we have about 6,000 years of human history. You know what human history has proved? For all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. Adam and Eve had the perfect world. And yet, what did they do? They sinned. They were removed from the Garden of Eden. And we have people today, I remember uh, one, of my, one of the first real weirdos I met in New York City. We were here, just started the church, maybe just a few months, and, and I was at Staples. And in those days, uh, what we were doing was we were, you, could, you could get black and white copies for like a half a cent each or something like that. And so... Uh, I had printed off a master and we could cut and fold and get two tracks out of two, one two-sided copy. And, and so I was there uh, getting my tracks and I was at behind line uh, of a man. And when he saw the paper that uh, the lady handed me, he says, oh, you're about the Bible. He says, we're trying to build the perfect society on Roosevelt Island. And... Uh, thought, wow, this is going to be a really interesting conversation. It wasn't. You know, it was the same old blather that the Greek philosophers driveled upon mankind that somehow we can lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. I saw in, uh, uh, a headline that uh, the Democrats are going to lift themselves up by Buto's, uh, uh, uh bootstraps. And if you remember, he's the guy that lost in Texas to uh, Senator Cruz. And uh, I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's a great place to start. You're starting with a loser. We hope you stay that way. Amen. Uh, but people always want to create their own joy. How many of you have ever watched at one of those food buffets? The little kids go up to the ice cream machine and pull that handle and all of a sudden, pure frozen joy starts pouring into that little bowl. And then you walk by the table a few minutes later and it's all melted in a big mess because they didn't like the flavor or something like that. And we, we always try to seek our own joy, do we not? When you take a vacation, what are you doing? You're trying to find something that makes you happy. You know, the only problem is you're still there. And joy doesn't come from you. Real joy only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we start, and joy is all through the Christmas story. But... As we look through this story, I hope we're going to see some things here that will help us understand. We start in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and verse 14. And we're not going to be able to take time for the entire story, of course. We will do that in the Sunday school time uh, on Christmas Sunday and And I pray that you will be there for that. But verse 14 says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Now, this is part of the annunciation to Zacharias the priest that he was going to have a son. And we know that son's name as John the Baptist. 
Uh, John was born to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And there were people when John was born that were very happy and they were full of joy. Why? Because John, I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth had not been able to have children. Now they were old. And we forget the significance of that. See, Zechariah's heritage, his uh, his family tree could be traced all the way back to the sons of Aaron. Now, most of us in this room would be hard-pressed to go three generations. Uh, most, uh, Some people could go five generations, but uh, I doubt anyone here could actually get out their family tree and go back ten, ten generations. Not, not without a great deal of research and, and uh, things, but here we're, we're talking 30, possibly 40 generations. And what would happen if Zechariah had no son? Be the end of the family tree. It would be done. So the joy that everybody had when John, little John, was born had nothing to do with the joy that God had intended. He had told Zechariah and Elizabeth that John was not to carry on their line. He was not to continue the priesthood. That was all going to be done away in the person John was going to announce. You see, God often, if we'll just start right here at the beginning, we can see a pattern that what we expect to get, what we expect to bring us joy often is not. What God is after. And somehow I just believe that if we could get our joy lined up with God's joy, that we would be doing a whole lot better than we are. Could we say amen to that? And so as we enter the Christmas season, I I love singing the Christmas songs. In fact, I have a playlist I I keep, actually two, I keep on my phone. And by the way, if you have not turned the ringer off, now would be a great time to get that done uh, before uh, we get into the sermon much farther. But uh, I'll be driving down the road, maybe out to Oklahoma, and it'll be the middle of summer or August on youth, uh, for, for youth conference, and I'll put on all the Christmas songs and just... Listen to those. Because I I enjoy the season. But I'll tell you this. The reason that there was going to be joy when John was born was because he was the forerunner. He was the announcer. He was God's designated spokesperson to point the finger at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ And say, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. All of the regular reasons for joy weren't there. And I I will tell you, uh, a lot of people talk about predestination and all of these things. And this is just a little aside here. The only person we know that was predestinated before they were born was John the Baptist. 
He had the influence of the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. You see, God does not predestinate people to damnation. The only one he did was John the Baptist. And let's skip down to verse 44 here. And it says, For as low as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Now, what we have is we have Mary coming to visit Elizabeth. And as she walks in, she greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth tells her that the moment I heard, the moment that your voice went into my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Now, I remember my wife and I, we were just a little over a year married, and not even quite a year married, and someone took us to a Cleveland's, uh, Cleveland Indians baseball game. And uh, my wife was, oh, I think about seven months or so along, somewhere in that neighborhood. And so we were sitting there, and they had that first cheer after the national anthem. And uh, we spent the rest of the ball game discussing how high Peter jumped inside Mom when he heard all when all that noise from the ball game. It wasn't because he was full of joy; it's because he was terrified. Um, but Elizabeth here, in the womb, tells us that. Before Jesus was born, the babe leaped in the womb for joy in anticipation. And, and I want you to look at verse 43 with me. And let's get verse 42. It says, And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? I I want you to understand that both Elizabeth and Mary understood who the baby Jesus is. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she says, The one who is bearing my Lord. Uh, not, not just a person of great importance, but the God of heaven wrapped in human flesh. And then we read down a few verses here, and uh, we get down to verse uh, 47, and Mary is speaking here, and she said, My spirit hath rejoiced, in, now, look at those next three words. Read them with me. God, my Savior. Now, she said, And my spirit hath rejoiced. Mary said, I am rejoicing. My spirit has rejoiced in me in God. Now, what's that next word? My. My is a possessive pronoun. Savior. Now that's important. You know what Mary was saying here? The one who will save me from my sins is actually in my womb. 
Now stop and think about that. You know, there's a lot of veneration that has been lauded upon Mary over over the ages. But what Mary was saying was, I need a Savior. And God has chosen me as the agent to bring that Savior into the world. The one who will save me from my sins. And we get down here to verse 55. And and, uh, Mary is still speaking. (coughs) And says, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. He said... She said that God is fulfilling His promise that He made to Abraham. Here's what God had told Abraham. He said, And in thy seed shall all the nations, all the families of the earth be blessed. Here's how Paul worded it. He said, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be of grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to only that which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. You see, we claim Abraham not as our physical descendant, as the Jewish people do, but as the father of our faith. We have a connection The same faith that Abraham had, we have. Now, Abraham's faith was a little different. He did not understand as much as we do after the events of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. But I'll tell you what, Abraham understood a lot more than most. How many of you remember the story, Genesis chapter 2 on Mount Moriah, where he took his son and bound him and and uh, I, I believe that Isaac consented and was a willing participant in that which God had told Abraham to participate in. And Abraham bound his son and put him on that altar and was just about to slay his son and burn his body. When God called out of heaven and said, don't do it. Touch not the lad. And there was a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. Have you ever thought about that? That must have been some briar patch up there. Oh, I just tend to believe there was an unseen angel had hold of both horns and, and keeping that, that ram in there so that Abraham could walk up behind that and kill the animal and then take it and disengage it from the thorn bush and offer it up. But you see, Abraham understood something that day. He said, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. God's Son was going to be offered up one day. There would be no substitutes, because there is no substitute for the Son of God. Amen? And Mary, as she was discussing this with Elizabeth, and she is alluding to all of these great theological truths and we have this idea, Andrew was talking about it in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Galileans were always considered ignorant and backwards and uneducated and these things, but here we have Elizabeth 
and Mary talking about the greatest theological truths that have been argued down through the centuries. And to them, they were just simple Bible knowledge. You know something? That's what we're looking for today. Simple Bible knowledge. The babe had joy because he heard the voice that was attached to his Lord and Savior. Mary recognized that God, her Savior, was going to use her to bring her Savior into the world. Mary still understood that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. She's part of all. But she was carrying in her womb the Savior of the world. That's where her joy was. You see, we go to Luke chapter 2, probably the most often quoted verse. And I like to say this. Someone was talking to me the other day about Christmas and misunderstanding and all this. How many of you have ever watched a Charlie Brown Christmas special? How many of you have ever watched that? I mean, most of you have, haven't you? And you know what I like to tell people? If Linus got it right, why can't you? Remember Linus, Lucy's little brother, thumb sucker with the little uh, blanket behind him? And if Linus could get it right, why can't, why can't we? Is that okay? I mean... I'm not quoting Linus. Linus was actually quoting the Bible, all right? That's why he got it right. And no, uh, he had a good script writer, amen? Uh, But here's what I want you to get here in verse 10. The shepherds are in the fields. Verse uh, 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, what? How many of you have been afraid this week? How many of you have been troubled in your heart? Can can I tell you, there's a thing called joy that's supposed to take away our fear. Can we say amen to that? You see, the answer to fear is joy. Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to how many people? Now, when we quote Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all means all. Now, doesn't it? No one's excluded. Well, could I challenge you? The same word is here. And these tidings of great joy shall be to all people. You know what? That includes you and me. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We we still quote those words, do we not? 
They don't do very much good most of the time now, do they? There is no peace on earth. I, I, I love that Christmas song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was in a hotel room in Washington, D.C. His son had been sorely wounded in the Civil War. He was there visiting his son in the hospital. And, of course, hospitals in the 1860s was not what hospitals are today. They were terrible places. You got shot in an arm or a leg. You cut it off. You got shot anywhere else. You died. Uh, That was basically the story. And he had walked through that hospital ward just filled with death and dying and visited his own son who was laying among them. And the next morning he heard the bells ringing. And he was reminded that there's still a Savior. And his name is still Jesus. And he's the only hope of mankind. And he is the source of all of our joy. You see, these tidings of great joy which shall be unto all people. And I love to quote Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6. And again, when he bringeth the the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. This is the only time we've ever heard of this where God emptied the the choir lofts of heaven and sent those angels to fill the skies over Jerusalem and sing these hymns of praise. These tidings of great joy. And of course, the shepherds went and they saw a little baby lying in a manger there. And they were trying to figure out what it all meant. We won't take time to give you all the reasons, but I believe that these shepherds were the priest shepherds. That they were the ones taking care of the sacrificial flocks. And this is the reason why the angels appeared to the shepherds. They were the ones raising the sacrifices. The little lambs that were out there were destined to be offered on the altars in the temple in Jerusalem. And now they were able to see that they were going to get put out of a job. There was going to be no more need for the animal sacrifices. People have often leveled uh, criticism at the Bible and have said that uh, the Bible's a bloody book. And why did God kill all those innocent animals? So he wouldn't have to kill you. That's why. If you had a choice, which would you rather do? God was trying to prove over and over again. You read in the Bible, God got no joy over the death of these innocent animals. But it provided an atonement. That's a rolling back. That's a putting off the final price. That was interest on the loan of our sin, if we want to look at it in modern day terms, until the principle was born in Bethlehem's manger. And 33 and a half years later, 
that payment would be made on Calvary's cross. But that moment had come. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of the time, Jesus came. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 2. And another part of the Christmas story is the wise men. And of course, uh, men have added so many traditions and, uh, and requirements and restrictions to this. Number one, there, there weren't three wise men. Uh, Herod would not have gotten upset if three guys showed up saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? Uh, why don't you get in line with all the other crazies and the prophets and all the other looney tunes that are out there? Uh, but this was a big enough entourage to make the entire city of Jerusalem take notice. By the way, you didn't just walk into Jerusalem and say, Hey, I'd like to see the king. That didn't happen. Yeah, you had to be, you had to have a presentation that was good enough that got past the guards and up to the supervisors so they could talk to the, the men that actually had the ear of the king. You better see these guys. They're, they're really important to come unannounced and to get an audience with the king. We don't know how many people there were. But there are certainly more than three. And they created enough of a stir that the king stopped his normal schedule to meet with them. And they had been following that star and they had been making their plans, if we read our Bible very carefully, for over two years at this point. And they come to Jerusalem and they make a presentation that is so stunning and so compelling that when they leave and they go another way and refuse to show Herod the identity of the child, he orders the death of every child two years and younger in Bethlehem. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Years ago, someone, well, most of you remember Mrs. Wilson, Art Wilson's wife, she had found a, a copy of some books that claimed to be ancient Roman records where Herod had the answer to the Roman Senate for murdering the little children in Bethlehem. And that may very well be true. I don't know. I, I tend to think that some medieval monk under the influence of his home brew had uh, uh, simply manufactured a lot of those things. Uh, but the simple truth was... Not even Herod the king with absolute authority would have done something like that lightly. These wise men had made quite an impression on him. And they were following that star and they came to Jerusalem and they, they, they figured that, listen, we've been at this for over two years. We figured this thing out. Certainly in Jerusalem they will know what's going on. Did they? No, Herod's. You get me the chief priests. You get me the chief lawyers. I want the, I want all the best of the. He said, "Now where is the Messiah supposed to be born?" You know, Herod understood one thing. He understood who the object of the wise men's search was. It didn't phase him for one second. He knew exactly. He had heard. 
what the Bible had said about the coming Savior of the Jewish people. In fact, Herod himself had married into the family of the Hasmoneans, the high priest that, that rescued Jerusalem from the tyranny of the Greeks, the, high, uh, the uh, um, Antiochus Epiphanes and, and those after him, and had given some freedom there. <coughs> Excuse me. And Herod himself claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people. So the idea that the real one had come along was quite quite a shock to Mr. Herod. And he's going to do everything in his power to make sure it didn't happen. But look at verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the... What's those next two words? Is there a difference between a young child and a baby? Oh, yeah. Uh, we could get Felix and uh, Amelia out here. Uh, Amelia is, is a baby. Felix is a young child. There, there is a difference. There's a great difference. Uh, a, a newborn baby, you can usually get away with them being in the service, but they become young child. And once they do that, they're going to talk and make noise uh, until they get old enough to learn how to sit in the service. And that's why we have a nursery and children's church and all of these things. And it's not a problem to use them. So what we have here is not the babe in the manger. We have a young child. In verse 9, it says, And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. Now, those who claim to uh, understand astronomy, not astrology, okay? Astronomy is the study of the heavens. Astrology is trying to get demonic messages through the stars. So we don't do that. But the, they claim that there was a supernova that would have appeared over the land of Egypt, I mean, land of Israel at this time. Uh, a, an exploding star that would have been there and would have been the brightest thing in the heavens. And did God need all that? No. Some have surmised since the star moved and stood over the place where the young child was that maybe it was an angel of God that stood there and gave light, that it was a living star. We don't know. But I'll tell you what we do know. The wise men had seen the star two years previous. And somehow, because of their knowledge of the Bible and their, their understanding of God, more than likely, since they came from the east, they would have had Daniel's prophecies. And they put it together. And they traveled to Jerusalem. And then the star showed up again. And now they are rejoicing because they could see the stars. But here's, here's what the wise men did. Verse 11, And when they were come into the house, not the manger, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, 
they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So what we have here is we have the wise men coming. Apparently they had lost sight of the star. The star gave them direction. They go into the house. And apparently Mary had little Jesus there. Maybe she was even holding him. And Could you imagine? I'm thinking probably at least 50 men along with their servants and their camels. I mean, they overwhelmed the city of Bethlehem. And they crowd in and they start falling on their faces and giving glory to the God of Israel. And it says they opened up their treasures. How many little children imitating the wise men had a little tiny box of uh, and they carry it up the aisle and they put it in front of the manger set and everybody goes, oh, that's so sweet. Well, it didn't happen that way. They, It says they opened their treasures. I heard of a preacher preach a sermon. What happened to the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh? Well, they had to live on something in the land of Egypt for the next several years. Uh, that probably would have been a really good start, don't you think? Uh, That would have supplied all of their needs so that they could have been safe in all of that from the destroying hand of Herod and his attempt to thwart God's plan for all the ages. You know what I see in the wise men? Is they were obviously not what we would call observant Jews. But they had enough of the knowledge of the Bible that they did better than all the scribes and the Pharisees who would have seen the same star, would have seen all of these things that they saw. But it was the wise men that came and sought Jesus. You know what that does? That gives me assurance that God is still seeking the lost. That's us. Amen? That God still is reaching out not only to special group of people, but to all of the world. And the gold was a picture of the divinity, of the presence of Almighty God, as His name is called Emmanuel, God with us. And the frankincense, we could talk about it being a picture of the Holy Spirit, as it often is in the Old Testament sacrifices, and in our prayers, and in the incense, but I'll tell you, the thing I like to think about is just the simple beauty of a pure life dedicated wholly to God. You know, preachers have preached over the years, the world has yet to see what God could do through one life wholly dedicated to Him. And as I was preparing this message, that thing just popped into my head and I said, whoa, wait a minute. We have seen what the world, the impact of the world of one life dedicated wholly to Him. It's Jesus. Amen? And we need to have joy and rejoice that God did send that one who fulfilled every portion of God's law so that you and I could share in the faith of Abraham. 
so that we could sing those songs and worship to God. And He will accept them as worship. Let's go to one more passage this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Cannot preach about the joy of the Christmas season without talking about the joy of Jesus Christ. And we come here to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your own minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Jesus left heaven's glory. And came down here and was born in a manger. He was born in the lowliest of all circumstances so that no no member of mankind, no matter how poor or how without the things of this world, could say, I can't approach unto him. He is too far above me. And also that makes the great men of this world get down on their knees, just like the beggars, to approach to that same Savior. You know, there's great joy in that. But this passage primarily talks about the joy that was set before Jesus. Now, what was that joy if we read the rest of this passage? eh? If we read the book of Hebrews, the joy of Jesus was laying aside all of the penalties and the demands of God's law. Jesus did that by perfectly fulfilling every part of God's law himself. Can we say amen to that? Never once did he transgress God's law. But if we read in this passage, it gives us a specific... Here, look at verse... Sorry, um, verse 18, it says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard and treated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. This is talking about Mount Sinai. I, I want to challenge you, Jesus was there. When the trumpet sounded and the children of Israel camped around the thing and God spoke to them with a voice. And they went back to Moses and said, Moses, why don't, why don't you go up to God and get those words so that we don't have to hear that terrible, terrifying voice anymore. And then what did they do while Moses was up there getting God's commandments? They made a golden calf and they disobeyed and was a terrible, terrible thing. 
Jesus said, I'm going to fulfill every portion of God's holiness, all of the law, so that we can lay that aside and people can get saved by simply believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? And we skip down here to verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Joy that was set before Jesus is what's going on right here in this building this morning. A meeting of the church of Jesus Christ. That we, as sinners can get down on our knees and call directly to God. And all we have to do is confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Only one Lord, only one Savior. We have to believe that He died on the cross and rose again. And the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, the seed of all false religion is this. They take the salvation that God offers and make it the finish line. It is the ultimate achievement. That's not God's Word. Salvation, eternal life, is the starting line, not the finish line. I cannot live for God until He lives in me. I cannot serve Him until I've received the forgiveness of sins. I want you, uh, I, I ask for you to pray for the Community Baptist Church. In fact, Leland and Rachel were out there this morning. Leland's filling the pulpit there, and, and we're trying to get this church back, back on its feet. And, Wednesday night, I'll be preaching about the priesthood of the believer. This is the doctrine that we're talking about here, that each believer in Jesus Christ has direct access to God. That was the joy that was set before the Savior. That's why Jesus, on the way to Gethsemane, He says, you're no longer my servants. I want to call you my friends. And I say that and everybody goes, okay, so... Jesus says, you, you don't get it, do you? Do, you? do you really get that? Jesus is saying, I want a personal relationship with you. How many of you have ever had one real, true friend in this life? I mean, someone that, that was a friend. You know what makes friends friends? is they go back and forth between each other, don't they? You know what Jesus is saying? He said, I want that back and forth conversation. Now, Jesus is not going to speak to you in an audible voice. He doesn't need to. He's already said everything you need to know in this book called the Bible. Amen? 
And so we have everything, but it's the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that helps us find the places in this book that we need to hear at the time we need to hear it. You know, that's a really good working definition of joy, isn't it? Is being able to access God's message when I need it. That was the joy that Jesus was talking about here as he looked at Calvary's cross. As he allowed himself to be beaten. Bethlehem's manger was the first physical step on this earth toward an old rugged cross. And Jesus said, through the writer of the book of Hebrews, that it was the joy set before him. You know what that joy did? That joy that was set before Jesus demanded obedience on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we together on that? If Jesus was going to fulfill his joy... He had to become obedient to death, the death of the cross. Could I challenge you as we look at joy during this Christmas season that we could maybe tap into this picture of Jesus Christ? You see, there's a joy that is set before you and I today. You know what that joy is? That someday we're going to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how can we walk through this life upset at God? Discouraged with who God is and what He has done or allowed? How how can we walk through this life serving the devil? Still claiming to be a child of God? Seeking our own things and finding joy in things that are other than what Jesus found joy in and face that same Jesus at the end of our life with nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. Could I challenge you this morning? The Christmas story is full of joy. Jesus allowed that joy of our salvation, of our church, of the church of Jesus Christ, that one day we'll be assembled together in heaven, that that joy allowed Him to endure the cross and despise the shame. Oh, our life. Here on earth is full of sorrow, is it not? It is full of trials. It is full of difficulties. Nothing ever seems to work out the way it ought to, now does it? Well, that's because you're not the script writer. You, you don't have control over what happens to you. Uh, But Jesus does, doesn't he? 
And he gave us a pattern. He said, for the joy that was set before him. Do you know that when we enter heaven, when we enter eternity, the only regrets we're going to have are the times when we chose to seek our own joy instead of seeking his joy. And so as we think about joy in the Christmas season, that joy that Jesus set before him demanded obedience. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. God has given you only one thing that he wants. That is your life, your soul. And I promise you, if you'll invest it in seeking those things Jesus sought, you will have the joy that our Savior had. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you on this Sunday morning. And we ask that our worship would be completed here during the time of invitation. Then, Lord, we would understand that joy is not always happiness. Joy is not always just getting what we want. But that we would look at what you endured so that we could be a partaker of your joy in fellowshipping in your church, in living in your word, in having the right to approach boldly to the throne of grace and and get help and mercy when we need it, Lord. Which is always. So, Lord, we look to you to do your work in our hearts. Help us surrender ourselves to your joy. And trust that no matter what happens, that we can know and understand that you still are the great and good and joyous God. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation 301, Only Trust Him. As we sing those words, if you need to come to the altar and to pray, let's...